Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. Once again, that's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hi there. Welcome to the program. It's school vacation week in a lot of places uh, throughout North America today. Good chance to watch the Olympics and see people who practice their craft for a lot of time over four years before they finally get that one chance to shine. Luckily, we have a chance to shine in our classrooms every day and collaborative problem solving just takes a little bit of practice to get good at. Got a uh, tough topic today though, Um, parents. And I know we have parents who listen to this program but schools sometimes have a hard time working with parents. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, If you're uh, listening live and you're on vacation Good for you. There's some dedication. Um, I'm betting most folks are going to listen to this uh, in its recorded version. Um, But, as always, these are your 45 minutes. If you're working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B or running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems or having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in, or, as is today's topic, having trouble working with parents collaboratively, This is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Now, uh, just a slight programming note. Next Monday's program, next Monday's program, that's the program on February 22nd, it's going to be airing at 2 p.m. instead of Eastern Time, instead of the usual 3.30 p.m., So, just a little program note there. And next week's program is going to focus on bullies. A very hot topic here in Massachusetts these days due to some tragic events that have occurred. Uh, But that's next week's program, not this week's program. Amazing how a lot of these topics do overlap. Um, Today we're talking about parents and working with them as we try to help kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges at school. Once again, if you want to call in, that number is 646-727-2691. And as always, if you're a little hesitant to call in, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance, lives with a B, lives with a V, dot O-R-G. So, um... How come it's so hard to work with parents? Very emotional topic, um, often with the parents and with the folks at school who are working with the kid. It's not uncommon, though, for me to hear parents being blamed 
or for educators to say this is something he should have been taught at home, not his parent? How come the people at home aren't doing their job? Well, they may do it, be doing their job. Hard, hard to say. I don't like to come to judgments about whether somebody's doing their job at home based on what's going on at school. Uh, unsolved problems at home can be completely different than unsolved problems at school. Lots of kids who are very well-behaved at school aren't so well-behaved at home. And the reverse is sometimes true, although the reality is if a kid is exhibiting challenging behavior at school, there's an excellent chance he's exhibiting challenging behavior at home too. But we should resist the temptation to decide that the challenging behavior in both places is somehow to be shouldered entirely by the parents. Um, unsolved problems at school may actually not have a great deal to do with the parents. That, a lot of people don't take that laying down. There's this very strong inclination to view challenging behavior at home through certain lenses lenses related to passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent parenting. And I find that those are very inaccurate, counterproductive lenses to be wearing a good part of the time. So I'm not sure why we do it. I think it's sort of a natural tendency when something's going awry at school to immediately think of home as the root cause of the problem. I must say, I don't see it. Not that the homes of many kids who are challenging at school are necessarily ideal, but the homes of many kids who aren't challenging at school aren't ideal either. Hmm. But there's a very strong tendency to think, all right, these unsolved problems that we've identified, let's let's say we've used the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. We've got the right lenses on, at least as it relates to the difficulties the kid is having. He's lacking crucial cognitive skills. If he had those skills, we'd be seeing them. Then we make our list of unsolved problems, and then we instantaneously think that we can't solve those problems at school unless we have the involvement of the folks at home. Wow, another myth to dispel. There are lots of unsolved problems that occur at school that we actually don't need parents to solve. And the longer we think we need the parents to solve them, the longer they will go unsolved. Parents actually, on many unsolved problems that occur at school, parents are actually not in a great position to solve those problems. They're not at school when the problems are happening at home and the problems that are happening at school actually may have almost nothing to do with the folks at home. It's interesting. Sometimes we send a kid to the assistant principal for him or her to solve the problem, but the assistant principal is often ill-positioned to solve the problem, too, because he or she isn't the person that the kid had the problem with in the first place. So often my advice to assistant principals or principals who are sort of performing the role of disciplinarian at school is to just do the empathy step with the kid because they can't take it any further 
because they don't have the kid's dance partner, the person who's referring the kid to the office in the first place. Very, It's impossible to do Plan B without the dance partner throwing their concern into consideration as well and being part of the mutually agreed upon and mutually satisfactory solution. But we often make the exact same mistake when we deal with parents as well. We sometimes send a note home saying, this unsolved problem caused a problem at school today. Please take care of it at home. parent knows absolutely nothing about the unsolved problem. The best they can do is the empathy step and get the kids' take on what's going on, but the parent, too, is missing an important dance partner, the person the kid had the problem with in the first place. And often parents feel like they don't know enough about the problem to solve it, or at least that they the burden is on them to impose some sort of consequence to prove to the school that we're all working together here. That 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 you can take care of biz- that they can take care of business at home. Well, if you've listened to a lot of the programming that's on the blog talk radio already, you, you know that consequences don't solve unsolved problems. So sending a note home, it's good to keep the parents in the loop, but it's probably unrealistic to think that the parents are going to be well positioned to solve many of the unsolved problems that are occurring at school. So question number one, when we're looking at our list of unsolved problems at school is, do we need the parents to solve this problem? kid is having difficulty getting started on a social studies assignment at school, do we need the parents to solve that problem? We certainly want them to be in the loop. Do we need them to solve the problem? Frequently not. If a kid's having difficulty doing a particular academic task, writing, math, spelling, do we need the problem, the uh, parents to gather information from the student on his concern or perspective on that unsolved problem? No. Is it sometimes possible that the parent could help us get some of that information? Yes. Do we need the parent to get the educator's concern on the table? Probably not. Could they be helpful at helping the kid understand the educator's concern? Sure. Do we need them? Not necessarily. Do we need the parents to help us come up with a mutually satisfactory solution in collaboration with the kid to get this school-based problem solved? Not necessarily. Might they be able to lend a helping hand? Yes. Is their involvement absolutely necessary? No. Lots of unsolved problems at school that we don't necessarily need the parents to help us solve. Keeping them informed is one thing. Welcoming their involvement, also one thing. Requiring their involvement or presence to solve many of the problems going on at school, no. And yet what I find is we often feel, if we come to the erroneous conclusion that we have to have the parents, then a lot of problems go unsolved. 
And a lot of parents, when they receive those notes at home, or the phone call, the dreaded phone call, or the email saying, thus and such happened at school today, we need your support. Many parents are just as paralyzed. They're, they're not exactly sure what it is that you want them to do. Give them a good talking to? What? There are unsolved problems at school that let there be no doubt that it would be ideal to have parental involvement. Homework. Homework takes place at home. Uh, the folks at home are the ones who are overseeing the homework, monitoring it, we hope, unless it's not happening. Good to have parental involvement on the unsolved problem of homework. Meds. What if the kid is on medicine? Uh, what if people need to be informed about how medicine that is in place on board during the school day, how it's working, definitely would want parental involvement there. Um, what if the kid's late to school chronically? That certainly would be ideal to have parental involvement on those unsolved problems. Now, you know, you could you could do plan A on the parents, send the note home and say send the email home and say we need your support, here's what we want you to do. Or you could do plan B. The minute the parents start to feel blamed for the kids' problems at school, um, you've, you've dramatically reduced the likelihood that they will be willing to participate in a process in which you're hoping that they'll help you make things go better at school. Plus, I don't know exactly why we're blaming them. Homework is not necessarily a parental issue. Believe it or not, it's going to be hard for some people to believe, being tardy to school while you want some input from the parents, what you mostly want to know is what's going on that's making it so hard for Timmy to get to school today on time and most other days. What's going on? How come Timmy walks into school so often in a bad mood? If the parents are feeling blamed, just like if a kid is feeling blamed and you're doing collaborative problem solving, it's unlikely to get the information you need and unlikely to have a collaborative partner. That's what blaming buys you. But if, well, the first ingredient of plan B is the empathy step. This is where you're, if we're doing this as an adult adult collaborative effort. This is where we're trying to get the parental concerns on the table and understand what's going on for them. Then our concern at school. Then working toward mutually satisfactory solutions. But this problem will not be solved until we understand. I guess the point that I'm making is that empathy step on many unsolved problems at school that we think we need the home folks to help out on, we actually might be able to get that information from the kid, not necessarily from the parents, 
and not necessarily requiring parental involvement. But that raises the possibility that we could actually be talking about homework with a kid, even though that occurs at home, we could do plan B on homework at school and possibly get that problem solved without parental involvement. We could potentially find out why a kid is late for school so often by doing plan B with the kid without parental involvement. Now, depending on what you hear in that empathy step, you may want to get verification from the folks at home. We could do plan B on why a kid is walking into school in such a bad mood every day. We could assume that it has something to do at home, but it may just as easily have something to do with the school bus, something going on at the bus stop, something going on where the kids hang out waiting to be let into the building. Once again, if we're thinking this is all about the parents and we can't do plan B with the parents, then those problems will remain unsolved. And the kid will continue getting no homework done, will continue being late for school, and will continue walking into the building in a bad mood. Here's the take-home message. You may not need the parents. There are many unsolved problems in which people think they need the parents, on which they actually may not need the parents. So question number one, as we are trying to decide about our list of unsolved problems, one pass at this unsolved list of unsolved problems at school is, do we need the caregivers at home to help us solve this problem? That's a question that often goes unasked. The assumption is always we have to have the parents for that, but you don't on a lot of them. Let's say you've got a few that the answer is yes. For example, let's say that once again, things are not going well with the meds at school, or the school folks are thinking that this is a kid who's a good candidate for medicine, and quite frankly, that is ultimately a parental call. Now you do need parents. So now the next question, can you get them? So now life starts to get a little bit trickier, because... Um, Sometimes, most of the time, the answer is yes. Often when people assume the answer is no, I, we can't work with those people at home, the answer is in fact yes. Often, as I've already said, it feels like the folks at home are difficult to work with, but in many instances it's because of how we've approached them. Not all, not all instances, many instances. It's because they're feeling blamed. It's because of all those notes that have gone home on things that parents couldn't do anything about in the first place, all those emails, all those times they've been called to school to pick their kid up, something they don't even yet understand, let alone necessarily have the wherewithal to do anything about. Often we assume we can't get their help, but often it's because of how we've approached them in the first place. But then there are also parents who perhaps because of work schedules or because the parents are dealing with stress, have mental health issues of their own, 
Well, there are many stressed-out parents who have mental health issues of their own who we can work with. The fact that a parent is stressed out and has mental health issues doesn't mean we can't work with them. Having said that, there's going to be a smattering of parents who we may feel, well, there's some parents that school folks think, I don't even want to tell them what's going on at home. It is, if I tell them, that kid's going to be in for a bad scene. So I'm not sure I'm going to give the folks at home the information about, I don't, I don't think I'm going to look to the folks at home to help me here at school. And there are parents who are just as spent and just as fatigued and just as frustrated by what's going on at home as the folks are at school. Now, that actually sounds like a match made in heaven, but sometimes not. What if you don't have the home folks? First of all, we've got to figure out why. In my work with schools, it is extremely rare for us not to be able to get some help from parents on those finite number of issues on which we actually need parents' help. So now, once again, we've ruled out... We've we've actually knocked off quite a few things on which we may have decided we don't need their help anymore. Sometimes... Just like when we're working with a challenging kid, we've got to knock out some unsolved problems so that there are so that we can focus on the ones that remain. We're just going to table them for now. In our work with parents, we may need to knock out some unsolved problems so that we can focus with the parents on the ones that we really need their help with. Once again, we've decided we don't need their help on as many as we thought we did. We need their help on some. Now, I'm not talking about the parents who we have an easy time working with who want to know everything that's going on at school, want to be involved in everything, want to be informed constantly. That's not who I'm talking about. We've, we've already talked about them today. Some of them may be put off for having felt blamed. Some of them may be put off for having received too many emails and too many notes home and too many phone calls and haven't been asked to come pick their kid up too many times. But what we're talking about now are the parents who we at the school feel we're not sure we're going to get that much help from those parents. And once again, we still need to figure out why we feel that way. Maybe it's how we approached them. Maybe we've overloaded them. Maybe we've Ask them to intervene on so many problems that they actually are not well positioned to do something about. There are still going to be some parents, and I think it's a very small number now that we've passed through all those parts of the litmus test, who we can't, who we don't feel like we can get much help from. Back to the question: Are you still on the hook? Yep. And for many things, that's okay, because you may not have needed the parents' assistance in the first place. It's a very emotional thing for people 
to go into school and talk about their kid. This is their kid. Many people who work in schools have kids of their own, so it shouldn't be that hard, although it sometimes is, to put ourselves in the shoes of the parents who've been invited into a school meeting. And if it's the parents of a kid with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, the news is frequently not good. Very emotional causes people to become very defensive. Once again, kids become defensive when we're doing Plan B as well. Sometimes it's because they think they're in trouble, because they think they're about to be punished. Elicits a very defensive response from kids. So, as I always advise in doing collaborative problem solving with kids, sometimes kids need some reassurance. I'm not mad. You're not in trouble. I'm not telling you what to do. I wonder what that reassurance would sound like if we were doing Plan B with parents. And is that what we do? Or do we let the parents have it and lay down the law with parents just like we do when we're doing Plan A with kids? been in a bunch of those school meetings. It's not conducive to collaboration. Plan A is not a great segue into Plan B. And by the way, if even if we don't say it, we often in schools communicate to parents that and Sometimes we even tell them that we don't believe it, and then through our words or through our tone of voice, it still becomes clear to them that almost no matter what we're saying, we still view them as the big part of the problem. We think that they're passive, permissive. We think their kid is spoiled, entitled. Now, some... I've sat in some school meetings where the folks at school didn't even try to hide that mentality. And I've sat in school meetings where they wouldn't necessarily just come out and say it, but it still came through. If that comes through, you're unlikely to have a collaboration partner. And then people get defensive. And now we're not working together. Bummer. It sure does go a lot better when we do work together. You know, I've been reading, maybe you have too, about uh, why some of the politicians in the U.S. Congress and Senate have decided not to run for re-election. And a lot of them are saying... It's because things have become so partisan that they're not getting anything done. Well, you don't get anything done when things are that partisan. Um, Senator from Indiana, Senator Bai, announced today that he's not running for re-election. 
He said the people's work is not getting done. Congress and the, our representatives are so entrenched in what club they belong to, and I'm talking about the Republican club and the Democratic club, that nothing is getting done. People are getting tired of it. That's why the incumbents better watch out. Almost irrespective of what club you belong to, the goal is to get something done. The goal is to get problems solved. Well, whenever I read that stuff, I think to myself um, about what sometimes goes on between parents and teachers, school personnel, and the parents they're trying to collaborate with. Sometimes it feels like the Democrats and Republicans. Democrats blame the Republicans for nothing's getting done, and the Republicans are blaming the Democrats for nothing getting done, when in fact what we really have here is a failure to collaborate. If you're not collaborating, there's an excellent chance you're not getting anything done. If, because you're the school folks, you feel like you can plan A parents, then it gets messy. And then nothing gets done. And we got a kid here who's waiting for us adults to get something done. Well, those three ingredients of Plan B ought to come in handy. Let's get the parents' concerns on the table without blaming them, without them feeling judged, without viewing them through uncomplimentary lenses. called the empathy step. Well, these days I've been telling people I'm sorry I called it the empathy step, but there's one reason I'm happy I called it the empathy step. Irrespective of what you think the parents are doing wrong in the raising of their kid, you don't understand what they're going through till you've walked in their shoes. Parents do well if they can. A parent who is struggling with their kid at home is deserving of our empathy. A parent who's defensive, a parent who's advocating for their kid and who wants what's best for their kid and who may have ideas about what that looks like and may not feel like we are treating their kid in a way that is in accordance with those ideas, that's not the sign, that's not the signal to do plan A on the parents and tell them who's really in charge. That's the signal to do plan B. Because that's a parent who's walking in the door saying, I've got some concerns to put on the table. Perfect. Perfect. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing in the empathy step of plan B. And if we do the empathy step, and as in our work with challenging kids, if we take our time, if we demonstrate to parents that we truly, this is not fake, we're really curious. We really want to understand what their concern or perspective is, exactly what we're supposed to be doing when we're doing Plan B with a challenging kid. If we're not in a rush, if we're not being geniuses and thinking we already know where the parent is coming from when in fact as is often the case in doing the empathy step with challenging kids, 
we could be wrong. Get the adult concern on the table. Then the parents are going to be in a much better position to hear your concern. Good. Now we're now we've accomplished what we wanted to in those first two ingredients of Plan B. We've got two sets of concerns on the table, the parents and the schools. Good. Now let's put our heads together and start solving those problems. As I've often said, if all you have after those first two ingredients of Plan B is solutions on the table, you're engaged in a power struggle. In a power struggle, you're trying to figure out who's going to win and who's going to lose, and who's going to win, whoever has the power. I've always found that to be an extremely counterproductive way to go between parents and educators. Much more productive, instead of getting solutions on the table in those first two ingredients, to uh, solutions to a problem that isn't well understood yet, Often we find that there's lots of common ground if we're focused on concerns in those first two ingredients rather than solutions. It's really hard. This is is hard. No one wants to be told what to do. Schools don't like parents telling them what to do. Parents don't like schools telling them what to do. I've not come across many people who don't want their concerns to be heard. This is the way I go about trying to help school folks and the folks at home solve problems together. I really don't find that it works any other way. I certainly don't find that plan A is the best way to get the job done. I find that's why we continue losing so many kids. Shall we turn to the mailbag? Some emails I've received lately from folks who are working in schools. We'll finish the program today with those. Uh, This... um, teachers emailing in saying that she's noticed a pattern with a boy who she's trying to do collaborative problem solving with and they've been practicing they've been doing proactive problem solving sessions once a week outstanding but the boy seems to have difficulty receiving praise and often the day after a problem solving session he has a difficult day He will often escalate to the point of a violent episode. The staff is starting to wonder about whether we are celebrating his successes too much and whether he gets a sense of power from the negotiations that take place during the problem-solving sessions. This educator is saying, at this point, she feels like the teachers who she's working with are losing faith in the model and would like to know what to say to them. Boy, In those two or three lines, there are so many possibilities for what's 
going on, but let's start with the first sentence. The kid seems to have difficulty receiving praise. Well, collaborative, doing collaborative problem solving is actually not about receiving praise. It's about solving problems. So one potential approach here is to have receiving praise be an unsolved problem that you want to gather more information on. Praise is not how collaborative problem-solving solves problems. You know the three ingredients for how collaborative problem-solving solves problems, but it sure would be interesting to know why the kid is having difficulty receiving praise. Now my curiosity is up. I sure would like to hear more about that. I hope the adults aren't relying primarily on praise. That's a different model. That's that's a different way of thinking. That's thinking that praise is going to get the job done. Praise is a motivational strategy. By, and by the way, I'm not allergic to praise. It's just that I, I find that as it relates to unsolved problems and lagging skills, praise doesn't solve problems. Praise doesn't teach lagging skills. Sentence number two, the staff is starting to wonder about whether we are celebrating his successes too much. It's always interesting. It's an interesting question. Sometimes people will say to me, do you think we should reward a kid for doing plan B? My answer has always been, I think, solving problems, improving communication, improving relationships, reducing challenging behavior is far more rewarding to the kid than any extrinsic reward we might want to throw into the hopper. So once again, I have some concerns about the lenses we may still be wearing as we're trying to do collaborate if we're doing collaborative problem solving we may still have lenses on that has people thinking that the behavior is about motivation and that the intervention should be about motivation but here's the sentence that may give it all away and whether he gets a sense of power from the negotiations that take place during the problem solving sessions now that suggest to me that maybe we still are wearing the motivational lenses. You're not giving away any power or giving the kid any additional power by engaging him in plan B. Plan B is not about power. Plan B is about putting our heads together so as to solve problems that have probably been causing challenging behavior for a very long time. I'm thinking we might still have the wrong lenses on. With collaborative problem solving, you're recognizing that challenging behavior occurs because of lagging skills and demands for those skills. This is not about motivation. And that demands for skills that a kid might be lacking occurs under highly predictable conditions called unsolved problems and that the goal of intervention is to solve those problems. Not praise the kid so he finally sees the light. Not thinking that he's deriving power from your attempts to engage him in problem solving. Very interesting email. I think this is the last one we're going to do for today because the other one that I was going to 
talk about it would take too long. This is a nice email from someone saying, I want to thank you for the wonderful advocacy work you do on behalf of children with behavioral challenges. These children have few, if any, champions to take up their cause. The disrespect their parents are often subjected to by education officials is shocking. Because of the shame they feel, they rarely challenge the atrocious treatment they and their children receive as clients of the public education system. I feel great empathy and sorrow for these children and their families. Truth is, I may have read that one on a program previously, but it seems like a nice way to have the final word on today's program. Parents do well if they can. Kids do well if they can. Teachers do well if they can. Principals do well if they can. Assistant principals do well if they can. School psychologists do well if they can. We all do well if we can. Plan A, imposing our will on parents for problems that occur at school that they may actually not have anything to do with at all and are ill-positioned often to do anything about at home, that's going to take a collaborative effort. If we feel that we can engage the parents, let's do it. Let's do plan B. If we feel that we can't engage the parents, let's figure out why we feel that way and then give some serious thought to whether it's how we've approached them, and whether that's why they're not so eager to work with us. They may not feel like we've been trying to work with and collaborate with them. And if it's one of those rare instances in which it's a parent who we really, really feel, I don't think we're going to get much support here for any of a variety of reasons. Well, once again, we're still on the hook. We need to see if those problems that are occurring at school really required parental involvement in the first place. And many, if not most of them, don't. We certainly want it, wouldn't want to let those problems go unsolved at school just because we thought we needed parental involvement and didn't we certainly wouldn't want to let problems go unsolved at school because we felt we needed parental involvement and erroneously concluded we couldn't get it. Boy, those ingredients of Plan B are powerful, whether you're using them in your interactions with a kid or with an adult. can't keep losing kids because we aren't very good at collaborating. The solution, let's get good at collaborating. I don't know if you noticed, but the right intro the right intro played for today's program. Finally, I finally figured out how to do it. We'll see what happens next week, of course. Next week's program again is at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you'll join me then. These sure are important things we talked about on this program. Hope you'll join in next week.